Welcome. I'm Amy Hall. I'm here with Greg Kokel, and you're listening to Stand to Reasons, hashtag STRask podcast. Greg, you ready for your first question? Yes, ma'am. All right. Um, here's a question from Hawaii. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your name right. I'm sorry. H-W-E-I. Uh, okay. So here's the question. I finished Christianity Explained with a teen whose parents are professing Christians, after which she said she's not ready to accept Christ, but she wants to continue reading the Bible with someone. When asked, she said she's not sure what she's unsure of about Christianity. How do I proceed? Well, I would just stay and play with her. Uh, If she's not sure, uh, she probably she wants to move forward little by little. But she's not sure what's keeping her back. She's probably telling the truth, at least in terms of her conscious awareness. It may turn out to be that there's some emotional or prejudicial element that's in the way, something that it's hard to tell. It's a moral thing. I don't know. But she's just moving slowly. It's not unusual. Um, People don't usually change their minds on big things like this overnight. Uh, we have some occasions on uh, like that. I'm thinking of Guillaume Bagnon, uh, but he he th- there were actually was a process for him too. But he kind of got hit with a thunderbolt at one point, and that's when things changed for him. And there's been others. Beckett Cook, you know, we have his story. He's worked with us at, at realities, etc. But um, generally, it's a process. And I'm thinking September will, will be my 50th anniversary as a Christian, and um, all that summer and even the. Before that, I was mulling things over, you know, and Christianity was seeming more and more plausible to me, but I was just holding back, and and I didn't know why I was holding back, but um, it didn't matter because I was in process. And so I think that the best thing here is just continue to be supportive. Now, my younger brother, Mark, is the one who was the gardener in my life, principally, and he continued to garden in the process and bringing issues up, and he wasn't wasn't uh, shy about that at all. Um, and so I would say to Hui um, that uh, you just stay in play. Don't be intimidated by this. It sounds like your friend is uh, moving forward and hasn't put up resistance. Now it's it's hard to tell sometimes. I'm thinking of. I get, uh, you know, Festus and Agrippa and uh, those three guys in Acts midway through the book of Acts with Paul towards the end, actually, the book of Acts. And one of them said, maybe it was Agrippa, I, I don't know, or Festus, you know, he's listening and then he gets spooked. And he says, well, you go away for a while. Uh, you know, that's kind of spooks me. You know, I kind of like I'll think about it. And of course, he never thought about it anymore after that. He left Paul in prison for two years. Um, so... I would say that from what we've heard, um, um, Amy, th- this person, Hui's friend, is in uh, in a good place. And just to be available and continue to talk and uh, let them work through this. The mm-hmm. Holy Spirit's got his ways of doing that. I agree. As long as she wants to read the Bible with someone, then read the Bible with her. Somebody who is not at all interested, isn't going to do that. So I would definitely continue with that. And just remember, ultimately, you know, you're trying to figure out all these different reasons. Well, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. But ultimately, it is a spiritual issue. 
And her problem is spiritual. Mm -hmm. And so even it were you to find out exactly, she, like you said, she might not even know what's holding her back. So pray for her and just be patient and see what happens. All right. Here's a question from Jane. What would your response be to an atheist friend who tells you that he is living proof that there is no life after death? My friend claims that the doctor told him that he had died for a few minutes from a heart attack. During this time, my friend says he had no awareness at all. Okay. Well, uh, I think the answer to that is in the definition of death. And so um, he is dealing with one definition of death, cessation of heartbeat, in which he lost consciousness. Okay. Uh, The biblical understanding of death is a different type of death. And so there are actually medically three different characterizations of death. Uh, one characterization is what he experienced, um, that the heart stops beating. The heart's not beating, person is dead. Now, I don't actually think that's the common way of characterizing death nowadays. The second characterization of death is l- loss of brainwaves. When you have a flat EEG, not a flat EKG, I'm getting the term electrocardiogram, yeah, that's... But in EEG, EEG, flat, you're flatlined. Nothing's happening, heart-wise, brain-wise, okay? And so now that has a consequence. If that stays that way for enough time, then the, the body begins to decay, okay? When the body begins to decay, you've crossed over into another stage in which you are gone. <laughs> you are dead, dead as a doornail dead, okay? There's no coming back from that. That's full biological death. I actually don't know the term they use, okay? But this is the kind of way that Scripture is talking about death. When you die, you have, um, uh, for, you know, is, is it appointed for man once to die and then comes the judgment? It's not dealing with medical terminology here. It's dealing with once, the, once, once you're dead and dead as a doornail, dead kind of thing, then that's it. There's no further chance for you, okay? And that was the case with Lazarus, and that was the case with Jesus, you know? In the case of Lazarus, they said, don't open the tomb, he stinks. In other words, his body is rotting, okay? Jesus was in the tomb for um, Friday to Sunday, and he was embalmed, okay? So there was no coming back in any naturalistic way. In these lesser forms of quote-unquote death, it's possible to come back. And people have, even in those lesser forms, they have what are called NDEs. It's interesting, the terminology, near-death experiences. They aren't dead-dead. They are near to death by some medical standards. And so then they have these out-of-body experiences, in many cases, that uh, are called NDEs. Now, I'm not here to def- to defend NDEs necessarily. I'm just simply saying that there are kinds of death from which one returns, all right? And if you, if you um, experience that and don't have any recollection of it, it's not—this tells us nothing about the ultimate state of an individual once biological death has set in. Full biological death has set in. So my my response to the atheist was that this doesn't tell you anything unless he's willing to change his mind because other people have experienced things, NDEs, 
and, and, and their body is in the same condition or even worse than his was, and they still had conscious experiences. So it's, it's, it's like saying miracles do not happen. How do you know? I never saw one. Okay. Well, then, <laughs> then there are no French cooking schools. Why? Because <laughs> I never saw one. It's, it's, it's kind of a, um, you know, obviously a silly way of arguing. It didn't happen to me in the circumstances I had. So that means it never happens to anyone ever. And I would say not only does it not tell you anything about the ultimate state, I don't think it even tells you about the, anything about the intermediate state. You can't conclude anything. I mean, think about if you were to have an operation, you, you wake up. You don't remember anything that happened during that. Does that mean that you were dead during that time? (laughs) It just doesn't mean anything because you don't remember. I mean, maybe maybe he did experience something and doesn't remember it. You just there's no way to know that. Mm -hmm. So I, I would just say it's just you can't conclude anything from that. There are other things that we can use to think about whether or not. There is life after death. Right. It, he, he, the atheist is leaning on a bent reed here, and he's getting – now, again, I'm not arguing that there is life after death. What I am saying here is his reason that there isn't holds no water whatsoever, and it doesn't take an, into account the difference between medical terminology describing death, for which he qualified at one level, and the kind of death – that leads that that is followed by something in the afterlife that the the biblical record talks about. So his his experience never addresses that situation at all. Yet he thinks he's getting comfort. Maybe he is gaining comfort from his claim that he's going to be safe. And there's no safety at all in this. That's what I mean by he's leaning on a mm-hmm. bent reed. Let's go to a question from Glinda. Greg and Amy, I know we cannot know the time of the Lord's return, but I would love to hear your thoughts on when it might be and why it has been 1,990 years. That's such a long time. Thank you and God bless. Well, we actually don't talk about this too much. Um, and uh, though I, my, I was weaned on a very aggressive second coming kind of theology, uh, and that was, spiritually speaking, under Hal Lindsey. Uh, back in the early days of the Light and Powerhouse, where the community I was in, he was one of the principals in that community. And I spent a lot of time with Hal and at his home and with his family, et cetera, et cetera. So I was deeply influenced by all of that. Um, here we are f- 50 years later, and Jesus hasn't returned. Well, it doesn't mean he's never going to return. I just think that there is a lot of ambiguity about a lot of the details there. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, and lots of eras, in lots of eras, people have looked at circumstances, cultural and political, etc., spiritual, and thought, wow, the return of Christ must be right around the corner. Um, but, of course, that didn't happen. So I think it's really, it, it's good to think, to be a, a cognizant of the imminence of Christ's return, that uh, you know you don't want to be caught sleeping when the when the household uh the when the um what's the wording I'm looking for you know in the parables the slave doesn't want to be found sleeping when the when the owner uh, the master returns okay so and that's the exhortation in the new testament um 
I, I, with regards to the passage of time, I just go back to Peter's response to that in Second Peter. God is not slow mm-hmm. according to his promise, as some count slowness, okay, but rather is long-suffering, not wishing that any uh, should perish, but all should come to repentance. And there I think what he has in view is the church, bringing the full number of the church in. Um, certainly he doesn't mean waiting for everyone to become a Christian, because that's not going to happen, uh, clearly. And it has to happen. People have died as non-Christians. But it's interesting the way uh, Peter puts it. He says that um, a year is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a year to God. Now, he's not given us any numbers to make calculations with. And this is so silly sometimes when people do that. Well, a year is as, a day is a, a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. I guess the way he puts it. Oh, a day, that means a thousand years. No, it's not a calculation. It's an expression that the phenomenology of time is is different for God than it is for us. It's, a, it's a little, from God's experience, if you will, from his perspective. A thousand years doesn't seem like a long time, and a a day doesn't seem like a short time. That's something that we experience. Wow, it's been 1,900 years. What's keeping him? But um, So I I can't answer the question why God has waited so long, because he has purposes in the church. The full number of the church the elect, the chosen, are not in yet. They're not gathered in, and this is why. But when it is, then, then then the end will come, because the job has been completed, and then God, Jesus, will return and bring retribution appropriately on the rest of the world. Um, but um, it's been a long time from our perspective, but as Peter points out, not from God's perspective. I, God doesn't have the same sense that, oh, that took a long time. I think I think that's the—you hit on the simple answer— Right there, Greg. And it is God is gathering his people. And when the full amount has come in, that will be the end. Mm -hmm. That's what he's waiting for. That's what we're being patient for. We're waiting for all of his people to be brought into the kingdom. Uh, I I was thinking about another verse in Revelation 6. Uh, He's so it, here's what it says, starting in verse 9. And when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord? Mm-hmm. How long? Psalm 13. Holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who were to be killed even as they had been, would be completed also. And that's, of course, talking about martyrs specifically, but I think the principle is there. We are waiting for the number Mm -hmm. to be completed, and when it is, that's when things will end. And incidentally, I made this reference to 2 Peter, and people read that passage differently, you know, uh, for God is not willing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Now, the question here is, any what and all what? Now, we read naturally, oh, any person to perish and all people to come to repentance. But if that's the way you read it, notice there's no object in there. Um, if that's the way you read it, then Jesus is never going to come back. Because if God is waiting for every single person to be saved and every single person to come to repentance, well, then that's not going to happen. So Jesus isn't going to be returning. It's got to be all or any of a smaller group. And of course, the 
the group that he's talking to in the entire letter from the very beginning, and I, I read every verse to confirm this, that all of the, uh, all of the uh, pronouns are being used of believers. All of you, all of the mm-hmm. believers, not wishing for any of the elect, if you will, or the church, if you will, of you to perish, but all of you, all of the full number of the redeemed to come in. And there are people probably yet to be born that Jesus will redeem. And so it is an act of patience, but it's an act of patience on the world waiting to bring in the bride. And I think that's the only um, that's the only way that makes any sense to read that passage. But it does speak to this particular question. Okay, let's squeeze one more question in there, okay. Greg. This one is from Timothy, and it's it's kind of unusual. I I, I don't think anyone has asked me about this before. Timothy asked me. Okay. He says, my pastor said that it's a shame for men to have long hair, 1 Corinthians 11, and cultural practices of the New Testament in regard to this still apply. My son is the only one in the church who has long hair, and I'm trying to figure out how to address this. I guess I wonder how to address this with his son or how to address this with the pastor. You take your pick, Greg. Yeah, well, I don't know what he has in mind. Um, I, I actually don't think... Uh, that that's an appropriate application of the pastor, the passage. So I think the difficulty would be with the um, with the with the pastor's approach, shaming the son. And by the way, how how long is long? That's another question, you know. And uh, I think there, I, I do need to to bone up on this eventually. But there are some cultural factors that are um, relevant in that passage. And uh, that have to do with peculiar things in the culture. And so women without hair or men with long hair, um, this communicated a signal, I think, uh, regarding that person. And so this was what Paul is saying to avoid for women with short hair, for example, maybe temple prostitutes. The women there had short hair, so they're easily recognizable in the community as such. Um, I, I, I'm not, I, I can't give the, all of the, uh, the, the background details. There are some passages that are just unusual. And uh, what's ironic, by the way, is that almost everybody characterizing Jesus in every film and painting has Jesus with long hair. You know, I mean, that's not theologically significant, but I do think it's curious that nobody at any time really thought that that passage or that requirement applied to Christians, you know, characteristically. And uh, in any event, I'm curious what you have to say about it. Maybe you've done more research on it. Well, it seems to me that isn't this passage also have the part about the woman having to pray with her head covered Mm -hmm. and wear a head covering? Are they wearing head? Are the women wearing head coverings in his church? That's a good question. Because if not, that doesn't seem... Consistent. Doesn't seem consistent to me. Yeah, maybe they are. When I grew up, women wore hats or a doily or something, Mm -hmm. they you know, uh, to church. And I went to a Roman Catholic church and women had their heads covered. So they did certainly apply that principle as a... As a sign of submission, I'm chuckling because it was this, some case it was an empty gesture, <laughs> a sign of submission. It wasn't it wasn't evidencing genuine biblical submission, but that's another issue. 
Yeah, so I don't know if I have anything else to add to that. I I think the length of your hair might um, communicate something depending on the culture you're in and what's happening in the culture. Mm-hmm. If if it's long hair in the sense that I'm seeing a lot of kids with long hair, I, I think it's pretty – I don't think it's communicating what he thinks it's communicating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have to think some more about it. I think I, I if I were to talk to the pastor, I would just ask him why he makes a distinction between head coverings and the long hair. Like, in, in the same passage, does. if he does. If he does, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I don't and, have anything and, but, hey, wise you know, to say. And, uh, when I was in junior high, I was in junior high, 7th and 8th grade. I got out in 64, so 62 to 64. Guess who was on the scene right around that time? That was when the Beatles came on board. And the Beatles were really extreme because they had long hair. That is, there were portions of the hair that covered portions of their ears. Early on, they were pretty trim by today's day. They almost looked like... It just like uh, Mormons who needed a haircut, that's all, you know. Uh, and so uh, it, that's it. So there's a that was long by their standards, by the culture standards, that, and people made a big deal about it, you know. But uh, And then the ear, hair covered their ears, and then it went down to their shoulders. Of course, in the mid to late 60s, it was, a, it was a total de rigueur. It was the fad, you know, accepted thing for young people, male young people, to have long hair. And I did. Believe it or not, down on my shoulders. But and don't you think, Greg, that there are situations where the long hair is meant to to communicate some sort of rebellion against society in some way? Yes, I mean, I depending on what's that. happening in the society, right. right? And but that's that's true with different types of hairstyles. Even now, mm-hmm. you know, we are not going to be like you. We're going to be like everybody else in our group. You know, it's like the nonconformists are conforming to a different group, as it turns out. Um, but uh, that, that there's lots of ways that that can be manifest in one's, in one's uh, style, uh, haircut or whatever. You know, so. Um, and I wonder. I, I, there I, is I, an issue about, about making sure the sexes stay distinct in the way they look. And that is a biblical thing that's important. It's in the Old Testament as well. That's actually exactly what I was just going to mention because it's comp- – it's <laughs> okay. I stole it from you. They, it could be a comparison between a man trying to look at, at like a woman with long hair because he's he's saying, you know, does not nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is is it it is a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. So maybe there's some of that happening there too. Mm-hmm. So if in a culture that's not communicating it – that he's trying to look like a woman or that he's trying to communicate something about his values or, or morals or whatever it is, I'm not sure that would be an issue. Mm-hmm. But again, this, this isn't something I've, I've studied a ton. I do know that Mike Winger has done several hours of videos on the head coverings. And I would say whatever – I would go listen to those because mm-hmm. whatever principles he's talking about there should apply – in some way, since it's in the sure. same passage and it's making the same kinds of points here. Yeah. So uh, W-I-N-G-E-R, Mike Winger, is he, what's his handle for his, his podcast or, or um, video? He, it's Bible Thinker. I don't know if that's the name of his podcast, but you should be able to find him if you yeah. look up Mike Winger on yeah. YouTube. A good friend of ours lives close by and he's worked with us before. So Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sending us your questions. If you have a question, send it to us on Twitter with the hashtag STRask. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason.